you have your Bibles, open them up, please, to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 2. Uh, we're going to continue our uh, Christmas series this morning as we talk a little bit about this wonderful message of praise that was delivered by the shepherds. And we've been looking at several different messages that have been delivered in the Christmas story. And today we're going to pause and talk a little bit about the shepherds and what was taking place in their hearts and in their lives and some principles and some lessons that we can apply to our own life that can help us be the, um, the men and women of God that uh, he's called us to be. So take out your sermon notes. You should have those. Uh, you can fill in the blanks and follow along with us today. Uh, we've taken a break from our D6 theme through our uh, Sunday morning sermons, and I realize that today's theme is redemption. I think it's um, very appropriate that that be the theme coming into the Christmas season because that was the whole reason for Christ's coming was to redeem all of mankind, to redeem us all. Uh, several different fusion facts that we see in that, and I believe I've got them on the screen for you. Uh, the fusion facts that we see, first of all, is that accepting Christ's sacrifice on Calvary is essential to our redemption. Now, everyone has their fusion fact magazine. Does everyone have that? If you do not, there's some on the table. Be sure to get one when you leave. And these, this is what we're going to be studying this week together as we study on the theme of of redemption. The second fusion fact is that we can rejoice in recognizing the Redeemer. And boy, there should be rejoicing in our heart. And we're going to touch base a little bit on that today as we talk about praising the Lord and worshiping Him and rejoicing. Uh, the third fact that we're going to discover together is the redeeming power and grace of God leads us to the throne in a spirit of thanksgiving. And boy, every time we approach God's throne, we should come there very, very thankful. Uh, for what he's done in our lives and what he is the redemptive plan that he's lived out for every one of us so that we can have access to him. Then Thursday we're going to study about how adoption by God enables a relationship uh, through eternity with him. And uh, I think it's pretty, pretty neat as you go back and you study scripture and you see how we the Gentiles. Now a Gentile is any person that is not a Jew. Okay? The, Jew were, the Jews were God's chosen people. And all through Scripture, he dealt primarily with the Jews until we get to the New Testament. And there he turns his attention to the non-Jews or the Gentiles. And we now, because of that, and because of our faith in Christ, have been adopted into the family of God. And I thank, thank God for that. And enables us to have a relationship with Him. And then fifthly, we're going to discover how in order to celebrate communion with God, we must have a clean Clean, clean, clean what? Heart. How do we get a clean heart? Well, you're going to unpack that a little bit Friday, but uh, there, you, you can't do it in and of yourself. You see, because we all have this, this, this nature in us that's called a carnal, sinful nature. And yes, whenever we accept Christ as our Savior, we are to take on His nature, but that still doesn't mean that the old man is just completely crucified and done away with once and for all. For all. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said in his writings and in his teachings that I crucify the flesh. How often? Once a year? Once a month? He says daily. Every single day I must crucify the flesh. In other words, I must die out to myself, that carnal nature, and allow the Lord in his nature 
to live and reign in our hearts and in our lives. So we're going to talk about that. And in order to have communion with God and be able to celebrate that, we've got to have a clean heart. And that only comes through our relationship with Him and, and looking to Christ. But we're taking a break from that today. And, and we're looking and we're going back to the wonderful Christmas story. Matter of fact, we're going to be looking a little bit in Luke chapter number 2. But if you have your Bibles, I would like for you to turn maybe to Luke chapter number 1. Luke chapter number 1, and this is the angelic message that was delivered by Gabriel to the Virgin Mary, and I think it appropriate that we read a few verses of Scripture here in setting the stage for this message this morning. In the sixth month, I'm in verse 26, Luke chapter number 1 and verse number 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel told her, Do not be afraid. And we talked about fear last week. And once again here, the angel is telling Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. I know i got a whole series of messages that I preach about finding favor with God. And I hope and pray that you have found favor with God. And it starts by having a relationship with His Son. But He says, Mary, you have found favor with God. Verse 31. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call His name Jesus. And He will be great. And He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not been intimate with a man? In other words, she's saying, I'm a virgin. How could this be that I am going to have a son? In verse 35, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power, boy, this is strong scripture. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. What a wonderful story. As we pause this Christmas season and think a little bit about this Christmas story and and how many months, nine months or so, before Jesus was actually born, Mary, the angel, Gabriel, comes to Mary and gives this wonderful message that you as a virgin will conceive. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being Mary? Never been intimate with a man. Never had sexual relations with a man at all. A virgin. And by the way, that's a fundamental of the faith. Hello? we got to believe that. That's a, that's a fundamental. The Virgin Mary, God Almighty, empowers her. And within her womb is the Son of God. Wow, that's profound. And I don't know about you, but I've read that passage of Scripture, and I've read that story, and I've heard that story all of my life. But I still have a difficult time getting my arms around that, getting my hands around it. I still have a hard time really comprehending that. That is so profound. Don't underestimate that passage of Scripture that I just shared with you. The culmination of that takes place when the angels come to these shepherds. And they make this wonderful announcement. 
And we pick up the story in Luke chapter number 2. If you will, turn in your Bibles there. In verse number 15. And when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, or the angels come to them and say, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, you found favor in, in the message. Verse 15. When the angels have left the shepherds and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem. Pay attention to that. Immediately, as soon as they got the message from God, the angels, the Bible says that they said, let's go straight to Bethlehem. I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. It's hard for me not to stop right there and preach that, but let's go on. Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16, I love this next one. They hurried off. And they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it, all who heard what? All who heard the testimony of these shepherds. All who heard the message that they had heard. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But here's Mary once again. This is no new news, new news to her. She had already spoken with the messenger Gabriel. She already knew what was taking place. But look what it says in verse 19. But Mary was treasuring up these things in her heart and meditating on them. Why? Because she just gave birth to the son of the living God. Wow. And she knew that this was God's son. Because still, she had had no sexual relationship with any man. But there laid this child. Think about all that she had to be thinking about and meditating on. I remember when I was in the delivery room when Tyler and then Kristen were born. And I remember the great joy that came in our hearts and our lives when we saw him, Tyler being the oldest, the first one. After we counted all the fingers and counted all the toes and saw what sex he was and made sure his head was going to be okay after they put that suction cup on him. He was a cone head when he came out and it all went back down, thankfully. But then there was great joy that filled that room as there, laying on his mother's breast, was our son. And all that went through our hearts and our minds on that day, think about Mary. When she realized she's just had an encounter with a holy God. And she's seeing the results of all the, of God's redemptive plan begin to play out. She's pondering these things in her heart. I think that's pretty profound to stop and think about verse number 19. And then verse 20. This is my text verse. The shepherds returned. Complaining. Griping grumbling, thinking they had a better way of doing things. Hello? The shepherds returned how? Glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard and all that had been told. They were praising and glorifying God. There was a conference that was taking place in the Presbyterian church out in Omaha, Nebraska sometime back. And the Presbyterians were known for not really showing a lot of emotion, 
nor were they known for showing a lot of jubilation and praise and in their worship service. So the pastor of that particular church at that conference at that time said, I know what we're going to do. We're going to give helium balloons to everyone that walks into the church service for this conference tonight. And then everyone is sitting in the congregation now with their helium balloons. And the pastor gets up and he says, whenever you feel like you should just give praise and adoration to our God, whenever you feel like you should just glorify God, because we're not a verbal, emotional group of people that's going to say, Amen, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Whenever you feel like you would like to say that, release the balloon. And that will be an object of praise for you. They get through the service. They get through the singing. Balloons are being released. They get through the message. Balloons are being released. They get to the end of the service. And they're having their prayer to close out the service. And the pastor looks around. And about one-third of the balloons are still in the hands of the people that were sitting in the conference. And he says this, For heaven's sake, release your balloon! May I say that this morning? For heaven's sake, if there's any time of year that we should be able to release our balloons in praise and adoration... And glorifying God, it should be the Christmas season. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful plan. What a wonderful spirit. I mean, even the pagans take on a better attitude and a spirit at Christmas time than what they have the rest of the time. Would you agree? I mean, even the most ruthless individual, man, woman, person that you know, at least at Christmas time, for maybe a small amount of time, they put on a smile. And they have something positive to say. Guys, if there's any time... You know, if we're behind on anything as a child of God, if we are lacking in anything as a child of God, I believe it would be in one area, primarily, and that's in our praise. And that's in our worship. And that's in our adoration to a holy God that deserves so much more than what I give Him. That deserves so much more than what we collectively as a church family give Him. Here's what I want us to do. We're going to practice. Okay? All right? And we're not going to turn Pentecostal and you don't have to worry. No snakes are in any boxes anywhere. It's going to be okay. You will walk out of here alive today. Okay? But here's what I want you to do. On the count of three, I just want to hear you say, praise the Lord. Okay? Can you do that? Here we go. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. That was pretty good. I thought I was going to have to rebuke you and scold you a little bit right there for not doing that. But that was pretty good. You see, guys, we're meeting in the gym. And we've all been to basketball games, and we've been probably maybe in this gym or, or other gyms, and I've been, this is a elementary school, so maybe the competitive spirit is not as engaged as much as it is in high school, but we've all been to high school basketball games. 
middle school basketball games, college basketball games. And I'm amazed at how people that are dignified in church, dignified on their job, will lose every bit of that when they go to a ball game. Right? I mean, they'll paint their faces up, they'll paint their bodies up, and they'll put on all their Iowa gear. Troy, he was sporting that yesterday. I sported my Duke cap. But listen, we put all that on and we go to a ball game and we, I mean, man, we just shout like Comanche Indians, don't we? But we come to church and we sit like wooden Indians. Why? Oh, guys, listen. These shepherds, look what it says in verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. We're going to look at the message that these shepherds preached to us in the example of the life that they lived out here in this passage of Scripture. And I believe we can find several reasons on why their heart was filled with jubilation and praise and adoration and glorification and and just worshiping God. First one, jot this one down if you will please. The humble shepherds preached a message of obedience. You see, they preached a message of obedience. I want you to go back up in verse number 15 of Luke chapter 2. It says, when the angels had left them and just gave them the message about what was taking place... When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. In verse 16, they hurried off and they found him. Guys, do you realize what these shepherds did? They were simply obedient to what God told them to do through the message of the angels to them. You know what, as I started thinking about that, do you know what leads to a heart of jubilation and praise and adoration and glorification? A spirit where we don't care who's around us, we just want to raise our hand and we just want to praise the Lord and we just want to thank God for all that He's done in our hearts and in our lives. You know what leads to that? A lifestyle of obedience. You see, if you're living in disobedience to what God has called you to do and what He's telling us to do and what He's commanded us to do, you're living a miserable life and it's going to be extremely difficult for you to ever get to the point in your life where you can praise God. These shepherds were obedient. Let me ask you a question. Do you think they would have praised the Lord had they not left immediately and went and found this baby in a manger? That had no reason for praise for the most part. Oh, yeah, the angels came today, but you know what? They're, they're skeptical, and I, I just don't believe. You've got to be careful on that kind of stuff, and I just can't get into that. And, and you know, you just, I, you know I'm, I don't know, think I'm... Oh, my goodness. You know, we laugh at that type of an illustration, but unfortunately, that's the spirit and the mindset that sits in our congregation week after week after week after week. Full of cynicism. Full of, oh, I just can't, oh, my goodness. Rolling the eyes and... Listen, there's no way in the world you can praise God with a heart like that. Are you all with me? Say amen or owe me, but I'm going to bring it to you today, okay? Listen, if we're going to get to the place in our heart and our life where we can offer up praise to God, it will only come out of a life that is obedient to what He's told us to do. Amen? These shepherds, as soon as they heard the message in verse 16, hurried off. Immediately, they left. 
You see, if that would have been a good old free will Baptist church or a Baptist church or a Protestant church of some sort, they'd have said, you know what? Maybe we need to get a committee together. You know, and then we need to bring this to a church vote. By the way, we want unity of the people and be sure that everybody's in agreement that we hurry off. Huh? Hello, you know I'm speaking the truth, right? Why can't we just say, man, that's God. And just do what he tells us to do. A lifestyle of obedience. You see, they preach this message of obedience not so much with their words or their mouth. They preached it in their actions. You see, you can say, oh, I'm obedient to God. Are you? Let's just rewind your life over the past month, six months, year. Have you been obedient? Let's look and see. Through your lifestyle, through your actions... These shepherds could praise the Lord because they were obedient. They had a life that was obedient. I'm reminded of 1 Samuel chapter 15, anytime I think about obedience. This is where King Saul hurried off to the spot where Samuel was going to meet him. Samuel's the high priest. There they were going to offer up sacrifices and worship to God once Samuel got there. Now, King Saul got there. Samuel was not there yet. And so he's saying, you know what? I'm just going to worship God this way. I'm going to do it my way. And I'm going to do this. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, the text just simply reads, later in the text it says, Samuel tells King Saul, he says, that obedience is far better than your sacrifices. You see, King Saul was there. He was offering up sacrifices to God. But he was in defiance to the commands of God in how he was to offer up sacrifices. He had no right to offer up sacrifices. That was the job of the priest. Hello? You said, but, but he was doing good. I mean, he was worshiping the Lord. Surely that would count for something. Not if it's in disobedience. You see, guys, we can come to church week in and week out. We can study our Bibles and we can pray and we can sit in a congregation and we can sing in the choir and we can take up the offering and we can give an offering or we can do all these different ministries. We can set up the chairs, we can tear down the chairs. But all of that means nothing if we're not living a lifestyle of obedience to our God. Worship and adoration comes through a heart of obedience. I've got got to move on. There's four things that I believe we can see here, and I think I put the Scripture notes there for you and the references, and I hope and pray you'll take this and study these. I'm not going to have time to expound on them. But four things I believe we see that takes place through obedience. Number one, obedient faith hears. I mean, we just hear the message. Obedient faith, secondly, believes. Once we hear the message, we believe the message, and I gave you a Scripture reference for that. Obedient faith then acts, and obedient faith then shares. Four things, jot those down. I wish I could just park and preach all four of those, but I don't have the time. Obedient faith hears. We just hear what thus saith the Lord. I mean, that's step number one. What does God say? And once we discern and we see what God says, regardless of what we think about it, we're going to be obedient to what he says. Okay? And then once we hear what he says, we're going to believe that that's the best way that it should happen. Not my way. Not the flesh. How many ever had the flesh speak up to you and just say, you want to just do it this way? <laughs> hey, I have that. Man, and I got to just say, whoa, 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 whoa. And sometimes, I, man, that's a pretty good idea, flesh. I like that. Hello? We've been there, done that. I mean, there's things that come up, and man, I like that. But then we realize, because we go to God's Word and we hear what He says, 
that that's the wrong way to do it. Hello? Obedient faith hears. Obedient faith believes. Then obedient faith acts. The shepherds immediately went. And obedient faith shares. You can see that in verse 17 down through verse number 20. That obedient faith shares. Let me talk to you a little bit about obedience. Let me share with you four things. And I think these are in your notes that you can jot these down if you will, please. What can we expect from God when we obey him? A few things, and I'm going to dig around here a little bit. I can't stay here long. But first of all, obedience to God is pleasing to him. It just simply pleases God. When we live a lifestyle of obedience, we can be guaranteed in our heart and our life that our God is pleased with what we're doing. Simply because we obey Him. Now, I didn't say you had to understand everything. There's some things that I do simply because the Word says you're supposed to do it that I don't really have my arms around. I don't really comprehend. I don't really understand everything why I should do that. But I know that's God's Word. That's His plan. That's His message. I hear it. I believe it. I'm going to act on it. Hello? And when we do that, we can rest in our hearts and in our lives that our God in heaven is pleased because we are obeying what He tells us to do. In Joshua chapter 1 is a great example. And I don't have time to go there and preach this either. But I gave you the references, some great study material. But in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1 down through verse number 9, there are several different things that God tells Joshua to do. He says, be strong and be courageous. He said, obey my law, do what I say. He said, constantly read, meditate on my word. I mean, several different things that God says that you're to do. And then in verse number 8, it says, he says, study the book of the law, continually meditate on it day and night. So that you may be sure to obey all that is written in it. Only then will you succeed. I love Barnes and Nobles. I love just spending time in that store. Matter of fact, sometimes, especially on my day off, you'll probably find me close to a Barnes and Noble somewhere. And I like to go to the one in Fairview Heights. Right now I go there and they've got that peppermint mocha. This time I love that. And I'll get me a peppermint mocha. And then I'll browse, I'll walk around through the bookstore, and then I'll find me a nice, comfortable chair. Now, you've got to be strategic in getting those. There's just a few of them. You've got to keep an eye on them. When somebody jumps up, you better sit down. I'm kidding a little bit there, but that's the ones I do try to get. <laughs> but I love to walk up and down the aisles of the self-help section. You know why? Because I know there's people all across the world today and all across America that wants to improve themselves. And it wants to better themselves and wants to be successful. I mean, who wouldn't, right? We all want to be successful. Do we not? I don't know. I haven't met anybody that says, you know what? My goal in life is to be a failure. Have you ever met anybody like that? No, we all want to be successful. And so I love to go to the self-help section and just browse the titles of books. How to be successful. How to achieve this. How to get this. How to so forth and so on. All types of titles. And I love to browse through those books. Now, sometimes you'll read through there the steps that they say, and some of them do have some biblical principle to them, although they, they're a secular book and they don't quote Scripture. But what I have found, the majority do not. But God gives us a, a definitive one, two, three, four, five step for success. And it's really outlined in Joshua chapter 1 and many other passages of Scripture. But God told Joshua, Joshua, you want to be successful? Do you want to succeed? Then you do what I've told you to do. In other words, in short, shortening out this part of the message, he said, obey me. Read what I've said in my word. Listen to what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. Believe what I'm saying. 
act on what I'm saying, and then you will be successful. That's a pretty good formula, is it not? But it, it centers in what? What's the key word? Obedience. In being obedient to God. So obedience pleases Him. Second thing that we can expect from obeying God is that obedience to God often leads to peace. I mean, it just simply leads to a lifestyle and a life of peace. So many people's lives are in turmoil today and trouble today. And there's so many different problems in so many people's lives. You know what I found? Man, life is just a lot simpler if you just take God at his word. That's what he says, do it. Don't. Yeah, but I don't. Who cares? Do it. Hello? You know, you don't have to understand everything. If he says to do it. And if we just live a lifestyle of obeying Him, you'll be amazed at the peace that will start taking place in your heart and in your life. In 2 Chronicles chapter 14, I encourage you to go there and read all of that chapter, and maybe 13, 14, and 15. And there's a, uh, there's a pattern through the book of Chronicles that, that you'll see taking place and developing. You'll find the kings that come in the office, some obey God and some disobey God. And in the passage I gave you there in your notes in 2 Chronicles chapter 14 and verse number 1 and 2, it talks about King Asa and how King Asa came in. He did what was right in the sight of God. He obeyed God. Whatever God said, he did it. And the Bible records for us that there was peace in the land for 10 years simply because he was obedient to God. You want peace in your life? Then just start being obedient. Quit trying to figure it all out. Quit trying to use that conjunction, yeah, but just stop it. That's the flesh, usually. Now, nothing wrong with being inquisitive, nothing wrong with wanting to learn, nothing wrong with trying to get your arms around something. But when you realize you can't just back away and say, okay, God, that's what you said. I don't really understand it, but I'm going to do it. And you'll be amazed at the peace that will take place in your life. Also, another benefit or something that we'll see about obedience, obedience is often challenged by difficulties. Now, when you live a life of obedience, and I'm going somewhere with this whole obedience thing, so stay with me. But when you live a life of obedience, you're going to find that sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes that's tough. Matter of fact, do you remember when Moses was being obedient to God, he and Aaron, they go down into Egypt, and they're obeying God. God said, go down there and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Well, you know, I mean, I probably would have thought if I hear that from God, I'm expecting that to take place. And I go down, I talk to Pharaoh, I go to Egypt. God says, let my people go. Let's go. Back up. That's not what happened. As a matter of fact, the Bible records for us in Exodus chapter 5 and verse number 9 that Pharaoh said, load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That would teach them to listen to these liars. Talking about Moses and Aaron. You see, in a lifestyle of obedience, sometimes it will get difficult. It got difficult for the children of Israel. I mean, there was more load placed on them. It got very difficult for them when the message from Moses was delivered to Pharaoh, let my people go. It got really hard for the people of Israel before it got better. And so whenever we live a life of obedience, it's not always going to be easy. Now, I didn't say the road to peace and the road to pleasing God is the, is the road of less resistance. It's the road of obedience. 
And the road of obedience oftentimes brings difficulties into our life. But that's when you've got to trust God. You've heard His Word. You're acting it out. You believe on it. Just trust Him. Live by faith. It will work out. By the way, turn to the end of the book of Revelation. Not right now. Read it sometime. We win in the end, okay? So we, we come out winners. But oftentimes, in living a life of obedience, it brings difficulties. And we just need to expect that and be aware of that. And the fourth benefit, or, or as we're not really a benefit, but we're talking about obedience and how obedience is sometimes challenged. Secondly, obedience is often challenged by deception. And boy, here's a wonderful story. I, I love reading this. I spent some time in this story this week in Joshua chapter number 9. And Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me real quick. I want you to see this. I'll hit it real quickly. I won't stay there long. Joshua chapter number 9. Now, here's the deception of Gibeon on Joshua and the people of Israel. And I'm talking about how obedience is often challenged by deception. And we must realize that there is indirect and direct, sometimes opposition, that takes place. Look, if you will, in Joshua chapter 9. When all the kings heard about Jericho and Ai, by the way, Jericho and Ai... Are the cities that the children of Israel, remember, you talk about obedience. Walk around the city seven times and shout. And the walls will fall. Well, that just doesn't make sense, God. But they acted on it. They believed on it. They did it. They obeyed. And it brought victory in their life. That's the Jericho. Well, that just spread throughout the whole region of Canaan. And all now the cities are somewhat afraid that now Israel, with their God, is going to come and defeat us. And they had heard about Ai, the city where they went up there and defeated when all the kings heard about Jericho and Ai, those who were west of the Jordan in the hill country, the, key, the reason they were west, because that's talking about the kings that are yet to be conquered, the cities that are yet to be devastated and taken over by Israel as they conquer the land. They know their day's coming. So all those kings get together. The kings, as it said, heard about Jericho and Ai, and those who were west of the Jordan in the hill country, in the Judean foothills, and all along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezzarites, the Havites, or Hivites, and the Jebusites. It says, verse 2, they all formed a united alliance to fight against Joshua and Israel. Now, here is some direct opposition that's coming to Joshua and his people for simply living a life of obedience and doing what God's called them to do. Now, that a lot of times is often easy for us to see. We can see whenever there's an alliance out there that's directly in opposition to what we feel God is leading us to do. You've seen it in your life, have you not? Well, that was taking place there. They all formed an alliance and said, listen, let's get together. They're coming our way. Let's get together. There's strength in numbers. Let's put our armies together. Let's come together and let's, let's fight together against the children of Israel. That's the direct opposition. But read a little further. Verse 3. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they acted deceptively. Oh, they put together a little different plan. By the way, Gibeon was just the town next door. I mean, it's the place next door. It's the next city that's going to be conquered and taken over. And they said, you know what? Let's don't get in there and fight. Let's see if we can deceive them a little bit. I don't have time to unpack and read the rest of the story. That's some good read, reading. But it says that they gathered provisions. They took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins cracked and mended. They wore old patched sandals on their feet. 
threadbare clothing on their bodies. Their entire provision of bread was dry and crumbly. They went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant land. Please make a treaty with us. You see, they dressed up like they'd been traveling for weeks and months, a very distant land, and just got in there. In all reality, it was the town next door. And they worked out this treaty with Joshua. And the point I'm just trying to bring is that we understand that in our acting of obedience, there is direct opposition that's going to come our way, and there's indirect opposition that will come our way. But the point is, we hear what God says, we believe what He says, and we act on what He says in a spirit of obedience, and when we do that, then we can expect to be like the shepherds and have a heart that's filled with praise and adoration and worship. What I want us to do right now, I want the ladies to come if they will. And we're just going to call a timeout right here in this message. And they're going to have a song for us. But while they are singing this song, I want you to have a time of reflection. And I want you to think about all that God's commanded you and told you to do. Maybe finger around in your heart over the past week or so. And, and there's some things that you feel like you have heard from God, read from His Word. I want you to decide today that you're going to be obedient in doing that. And understand that when we live a life of obedience, it brings about a spirit of worship. So let's resolve today that we're going to be obedient to what God says. And let's enter into this worship and this time of praise. And let's worship the Lord together while these ladies sing.
Amen. Thank you, ladies. Wonderful job. Hallelujah. Son has come. Amen. And that should lead us to a heart of praise. Let me real quickly wrap this message up with the last two points that I want to share with you. Not only do they preach a message of obedience, but secondly, these shepherds preach the message of opportunity. A message of opportunity. What do I mean by that? Well, if you read in Luke chapter 2, in verse 17, in verse number 18, it says, And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring these things in their heart. In other words, they just simply took opportunity to spread the message that they had been told by these angels. And I guess what we need to be doing this Christmas season is we need to be taking that same opportunity to spread the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. To tell a lost and dying world that there's a wonderful redemptive plan that has been made for all of mankind. Jesus, the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, was born into the world on the Christmas season that we celebrate so that we could have eternal life and forgiveness and restoration for our sins. What a wonderful message. And we need to be taking the opportunity to be able to spread that and be obedient in the command that's been given for us, uh, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, all the Gospels have the command of the Great Commission. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 has the command of the Great Commission that we go and tell. And we need to take advantage of the opportunity that we have. Then thirdly, the humble shepherds preach not only a message of obedience, not only a message of opportunity, but these humble shepherds preached an overwhelming message. Now something I want you to take note in verse number 20 as we wrap this message up today. The shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all that they had seen and heard as they had been told. Now, I want you to think about this. The circumstances of these shepherds did not change after they left that manger scene. They're still shepherds. Matter of fact, as I shared with you last week, the shepherds were ceremonially unclean because they were not able to go to the temple and make the daily sacrifices. They were out in the fields. And I think it pretty appropriate that the angel of God came to the shepherds that were tending to the sheep that would be sold to those that were offering up sacrifices into the temple. I think it pretty appropriate that the angel of God came to the shepherds that were tending to the sheep To proclaim the message to them that the Lamb of God was being born into this world so that the ultimate sacrifice could be paid on Calvary. Think about that. But I want you to note, their circumstances didn't change. Where'd they go? Did they go back into the city? Did everyone flock to them to hear this wonderful message of what the angels told them and what they had seen around the manger? No, they just head back the fields the circumstances hadn't changed whatsoever but their hearts did and now they're rejoicing you see prior to that they're just out there doing their job but they hear this message from the angels they go and see this Christ child they worship him there they return to that same job circumstances hadn't changed at all But their heart and their life had been changed, and now they're celebrating. Guys, listen. Sometimes you'll say, and you may think, and 
I may think, boy, if my circumstances would change just a little bit, then I could really praise the Lord. Boy, if I could just get a better job, or if I could just get a better house, or if I could just get a better career, or if I just for military, if I made, if I could just get a promotion, or, or whatever, we just run off this. If we could just do what, if our circumstances would change a little bit, then I could praise the Lord. No, your circumstances don't need to change at all for you to be able to praise the Lord. All that needs to change is your heart. Amen. The only thing that changed for these shepherds was their heart. And they left rejoicing. And they went out back in that hillside rejoicing. You see, you can go right back into your job. I don't care who your boss man is. I don't care who the ones you work with are. I don't care what kind of lifestyle they live or what they may say. That's totally irrelevant on whether or not you worship God or not. And rejoice and praise it. It doesn't have anything to do with it. It's just a fleshly, carnal, lazy excuse that you'll use to keep from worshiping and praising God. It all has to do with your heart. Everything. I don't care what. Think about what are your circumstances. And, it, and realize it doesn't matter. I want you to think about your circumstances right now. I want you to think about anything in your life right now that would hinder you, that you think and may believe hinders you from really worshiping God, living for Him, being sold out to Him, doing all that He wants to do in and through your life. Think about something. Oh, you know, if I could just change that. And for me, you know what it'd be? Boy, if I can just get a building on that property. But you know what? That's nothing but a low-down excuse for not doing ministry well now. Hello? That's nothing. Listen, that doesn't need to be our focal point. I've already resigned to it. Matter of fact, I told my wife this week. I said, honey, listen, I may never see a building on that property. But that's not going to change what I do today. That's not going to change how I preach. It's not going to change the ministry that I do. It's not going to keep us from quit loving people. It's not going to keep us from keep forgiving people. It's not going to keep us from doing evangelism. Listen, we can grow a church in a school gym. Hello? And it's just a lazy excuse if we think, boy, we've got to have a really nice building out there on that property before we can really grow our church. That's an excuse for you copping out and not doing ministry, and worshiping God, and being involved in evangelism, and loving your brother, and forgiving each other while we're in a school gym. I just like to call a spade a spade. Just put the cookies on the bottom shelf. That's, that's reality. Hello? Circumstances don't have to change for us to praise the Lord. Hello? All that has to change is our heart. And for these shepherds, the only thing that changed in their life was their heart. And by changing their heart, it changed their life. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Do you need a heart change this Christmas season? Circumstances may not change at all. The heart's what has, has to change. Have you been praising Him? Have you been worshiping Him? Are you engaged in ministry? Are you doing all that you can to really live for God and serve Him and help minister one to another and help reach the unsaved and those that don't know Christ and those that aren't involved in church? Have you opened your arms down? Have you gone beyond? You say, well, I will. As soon as a few things changes in my life. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because there will be another excuse that will come. And you'll just use that one. 
You see, for these shepherds to get to a spirit of praise and worship, the only thing that changed in their life was their heart. And it changed when they heard from God and they saw the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, you've heard from the Lord today. You've got in God's Word today. And God has spoken to you today. Now the decision is yours. Will you hear what He says? Will you be obedient? Will you believe in it? Will you act on it? And when you do, your heart will change and you'll be amazed at what takes place in your life and the adoration and the praise that we all collectively can give to our God. We're going to have a song of meditation, invitation here in just a second. And I'm going to pray for you here in just a moment. But if there's anything in your life And we've got counselors in the back of the gym right now. And they're there for you. They love you. They want to pray with you. If you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask you to just get up and walk to the back. If you'd like to just recommit and rededicate your life to the Lord, I'm going to ask you to just get up and just walk to the back. If you have a problem in your life you need somebody to pray with you about, I'm going to ask you to get up and walk to the back. Don't leave here today the same way you came in. I want you to leave here today changed. And it only happened when we change our heart. And not our circumstances. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time together. And as we commit this time of invitation to you, I just pray, God, that you would deal with hearts and lives of people here this morning. And God, our circumstances probably aren't going to change a whole lot. Our surroundings, our jobs, whatever it may be. But God, our hearts can change. And when our hearts get changed, our life gets changed. Our outlook gets changed. Our perspective gets changed. And then we're at a place where we can worship you. What a difference, this baby. What a difference this child has made in all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.